This week on Geek Explained, let's be honest, it's been a tough couple years. So in this episode, we're bringing the good vibes with my top five feel-good comics. Welcome back to Geek Explained. I'm your host, Eric Azana, and today's episode is all about the good vibes. Um, I think I am not alone in saying that 2020 and so far 2021 has been a very stressful time. Uh, lots of stuff going on, lots of horrible things going on, and a lot of people are suffering. Um, so one thing that's really given me a lot of comfort in the past year has been comics. Going back, reading comics that just kind of make you feel good and make you um, believe that good people and goodness and good things are possible. So I wanted to take today's episode to talk about my top five feel-good comics. These are hopefully comics that you can um, kind of turn to if you're feeling down, uh, something to inspire you, and that's really what they do for me. So hopefully this list helps you out. We also have our latest weekly review on the newest episode of WandaVision. Oh, WandaVision. It is, oh, it's so good. Can't wait to talk about that. Um, and of course, we have this week's Comics Countdown. But before we get into all of that, let's check in with this week's news. All right, guys and dolls, let's talk some news. We have our four categories, film, TV, comics, and miscellaneous. No miscellaneous news this week, so we're going to kick things off with film news. I've uh, got two pieces of film news here on both sides of the aisle, both Marvel and DC. Uh, first off, uh, we have a casting announcement for Captain Marvel 2. We now know that, and I'm going to try my best with this name, but uh, Zawe Ashton, if I pronounce that wrong, I'm sorry, uh, she, she has been cast as the villain for Captain Marvel 2. We still have no idea uh, who she's playing or what the general plot is for this. Uh, we do know that uh, Anita Costa is directing. We know that Miss Marvel and Monica Rambeau are uh, slated to appear alongside Can Carol Danvers, but other than that, we don't really have any concrete details, so um, we'll just have to see. And then over on the DC side of things, this past weekend, we got a trailer. We got another trailer for the Snyder Cut. I'm assuming this is going to be the last trailer, but who knows? Um, it was fine. Uh, all things considered, there are things in it that I think are dumb. I think Superman dying and giving out this, like echolocation thing to like signify oh dark side it's time to come to earth i think is dumb but um it looks you know pretty much exactly what you're expecting to look for in the uh in the snyder cut we did get a clip of jared leto's joker saying we live in a society so uh i i can't i can't i can't i can't it's just it's it's 
beyond like the level of parody when it comes to that like you could have people that will be like defending it and saying like oh it's such a cool thing you know i of course i'd i'd slide that in too you know but it's like it it just came off as really for me personally it just came off as like super cringe i was like oh i can't dude like but um it is coming up fast and of course as you, uh, if you've been following along with the feed, uh, if you're subscribed to us, you do know that uh, we are putting out our Into the Snyderverse series, where every Sunday we're dropping two episodes of us going through the DCEU leading up to the Snyder Cut. Uh, this past weekend, we dropped episodes for Suicide Squad and Wonder Woman. And this coming Sunday, we're going to be looking at... <sighs> Man... <laughs> we're gonna be looking at uh justice league and aquaman so um like i said tune into the feed for that well like i said we're dropping them every single sunday uh up until the release of the snyder cut on march 18th we also did find out that uh zack snyder is planning on releasing alongside the snyder cut a black and white version of the film that he calls the justice is gray edition I have no idea what this means. Um, he's just, I, I don't know, whatever. Um, but yeah, so if you uh, if you are an HBO Max subscriber, you will be able to get, I'm assuming, both versions of the film when it drops, but uh, we'll find out on March 18th. Hopping over to TV news. Uh, mixed bag, if ever there was one. Uh, some great news and one piece of uh, not-so-great news. I'm going to start with uh, DC first. Uh, the Wonder Girl TV series that we heard as part of this big... Um, I don't know, whatever you want to call it, this big initiative to get Yara Floor as much uh, mainstream eyes on her as possible. Uh, we know that she appeared and was kind of... I would say the poster child for future state, if anything, because it definitely seems like she's the only one who they're going to be like consistently or openly keeping, you know, keeping up with going into uh, Infinite Frontier beyond. Um, she's going to get her own uh, comic series. And then it was reported that she was going to get her own uh, live action series with the CW kind of tying in, I'm assuming, to the rest of the Arrowverse shows. But this past week, we found out that uh, the CW chose not to pick up the uh, Wonder Girl pilot. Apparently, it was written, it was pitched, it was ready to go, and they just decided to pass on it while greenlighting some kind of, like, ridiculous Powerpuff Girls Riverdale experiment. I don't know. It's dumb. But um, the writer of the, and I guess who would have been the potential showrunner for the series, posted up on Twitter basically saying, like, you know, I put my heart and soul into this. Like, you know, it's, but it's not going forward. Thank you for the support, all that stuff. Uh, I don't know if this is, you know, uh, if this is supposed to be indicative of this push for Yara Floor. Uh, she still seems like she's at the forefront of DC's mind when it comes to uh, characters they are really going to be spotlighting in the months and years ahead. But we'll just have to see. We, we know that uh, CW doesn't exactly work hand-in-hand -hand with DC Comics all the time. Um, so it's possible that this is just kind of, uh, you know, this is something that happened, but we will, we'll just have to see. Um, in 
much happier news. Uh, This was kind of a double dose of exciting news, I think, because on the same day, we got two big pieces of news. First off, Gina Carano, uh, who has just been a terrible person for a while now, um, has been fired. She's been fired from The Mandalorian. She will no longer be working with Lucasfilm, which means I think that uh, spinoff show Rangers of the New Republic will, will either need to be shelved or find a new lead. Um, I'm still down for Kim's convenience guy to be our uh, our lead in for that show. But um, in that same day, we found out that Pedro Pascal, of course, the uh, driving force behind The Mandalorian, as well as one of the best parts uh, I would argue the best part of Wonder Woman 1984 has been cast as Joel in the Last of Us HBO series. He'll be acting alongside Bella Ramsey as Ellie. Both of them were announced on the same day. Uh, Bella Ramsey played, oh uh, God, I can't, she was one of the Mormont kids um, in Game of Thrones. She fought, I think she fought a giant and died. But uh, she was a badass kid, so I'm uh, I'm interested in seeing her take on it. Um, she's definitely not who I would have picked as my first choice, but you know I believe I have faith in them. They know what they're doing with this property, so I am looking forward to her version of Ellie. And the same thing with Pedro Pascal. I think he was an kind of an out of left field choice. A lot of people were going for a more traditional Joel look. Uh, this came around the same day as uh, rumors were circulating that uh, Marshala Ali was being courted for the role, which uh, I wouldn't have mind personally, but um, I know kind of rubbed fans of the series the wrong way for whatever reason. Um, but I think it would have been fantastic. And Pedro Pascal is absolutely going to kill it. He is the quintessential single dad trying to take his child across the way. Like, it's it's a match made in heaven. The two of them are going to do incredible. And it makes me way more excited to uh, find out what exactly this Last of Us series is going to be. I hope that it's not really uh, like a full-on just um, scene-for-scene adaptation. I think that would be a waste of time. But overall, it was a great day for news, finding out both about uh, Gina Carano being fired as well as Pedro Pascal being elevated. Uh, So that is it for TV news. And finally, in comics news, two pieces of comics news here. First off, we finally have some concrete dates for the Milestone universe returning to DC Comics. Unfortunately, it doesn't look like it's going to be as much of a... um, as much of a... uh, upfront push like they did for stuff like uh, Future State and whatnot. All of these initial series, starting off with a big uh, Milestone Returns one-shot, are going to be digital series from what I understand and from what I've heard. Uh, First off, there's going to be this big, like I said, uh, Milestone Returns kind of reintroducing audiences to this world, to the Dakotaverse, to uh, all these characters, and then that's going to be followed up. Um, That's coming out on on February 26th, so, um, what is that? One week, two weeks, two weeks, I think. Um, and then following that is going to be Static on April 12th, which is going to be another uh, digital series. The design, the new design for Static looks fantastic. 
fantastic. And then they we are also getting an Icon in Rocket digital first series starting off uh, on June 21st. And then rounding out the bunch is going to be Hardware on August 23rd. All of these are going to be digital first series. I'm not sure if they're going how they're going to format them following that, but uh, it's exciting nonetheless. I'm still very excited about Milestone, even though they're kind of they're taking a very tentative approach to bringing them back. But hopefully this leads on to bigger things, and this is just kind of the primer to get us ready for what's to come. And then over on the Marvel side of things, we got a new uh, series announced. If you were picking up comics the past week, you saw an advertisement for it. We are getting a... I'm assuming it's a miniseries uh, called Thor Loki Double Trouble. It's going to be a series that is written by Mariko Tamaki. Love that. And illustrated by Goody Hiru, which you know, or you would know, from Superman Smashes the Clan, one of my favorite Superman stories of all time. Um, I think this is a match made in heaven. I love, 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 love both of these creators and having it be, you know, this buddy cop um sibling rivalry story with the creators involved i think it's going to be a good time to be sure but that is going to wrap up things here with the news and i think speaking of comics that is going to transition us right over to the main event the entree if you will of this week's episode which is my top five feel good comics I've been thinking about doing this for a while Um, with everything going on in the world just like it feels like for the last year it's just been all right what bad stuff is happening this week or what bad stuff's happening today and for me when you know things get really stressful when things get really um, make me really anxious and just make every day feel like it's just anxiety on top of anxiety. I usually find a lot of comfort in comic books. I usually find a lot of comfort in my hobbies. I usually find a lot of comfort in the things that I grew up with, which were comic books, superheroes, that kind of thing. And I've been, you know, kind of going back and forth on when I wanted to put out something like this. But in the uh, past couple months, it's been um, weird, (laughs) which I think is pretty, um, pretty normal at this point. It's, you know, it's been a weird, uh, weird year so far. Everyone who kind of was expecting 2020 to be this like Uh, bottled up like everything's horrible here but 2021 could be much much better Um, I think is been so far disappointed Um, this year has been strange Uh, I would say a slight improvement off of 2020 but um, who knows we've still got a long way to go and um, we don't know exactly where the year is going to go but Uh, The past month has been a little strange for me. Um, I try to be 
uh, honest and upfront with you guys because I appreciate you listening. Um, and uh, over the past month, I uh, I'm just I guess I'll just be honest here. Um, I tested positive for COVID, and it was kind of scary in the moment. Um, you know, I didn't, you know, you, you get tests and it's really, you know, kind of a paint by numbers thing. My partner, uh, she has, she at, for most of this year so far had to get them basically every single week. So it kind of became a routine. And when I ended up testing positive, it was kind of this moment where like everything just kind of stopped. I didn't know how to feel. I didn't know how to react. And, um, personally, I just kind of like mentally retreated into myself because I just it's scary it's a scary thing to see your test results come back positive and I will say that I got off way easy compared to people who have suffered a lot from this virus I was very minimal symptoms Um, I wrote out my uh, 14-day quarantine and just didn't go anywhere. Um, I was very fortunate to be able to have uh, my partner there with me. Um, and somehow we didn't get sick of each other being cooped up for 14 days in the same room. But uh, we made it work. And during that time, I kind of passed the time doing this podcast. And I passed the time, you know, going back to things that I, um, I guess, don't normally have as much time for as I would like stuff like video games and stuff like reading comics. Um, that was something that I really find uh, solace in and find comfort in when stuff's going on. It was the same thing when I had my back surgery back in 2016, you know, when I was laid up for two to three weeks and I couldn't do anything. Um, it was comics and video games. And it was kind of the same situation here, um, just with a lot less painkillers. And during this time, I kind of went back to comics that made me feel good because, you know, regardless of how pleasant it can be to just kind of not need to go anywhere for two weeks, it could also, like, do weird things with your mind. And so, you, at least for me, I found myself wanting to kind of busy myself with stuff like the podcast, voiceover stuff, and being able to get back into my... My hobbies, like reading comics, the whole reason I started this podcast in the first place was to talk about comics. And during that quarantine period, I really started to uh, think about the comics that would make me feel good, that would make me kind of get my mind off of things, get my mind off of stuff that I, you know, was stressing me out or causing anxiety. And I wanted to kind of share that list with you guys. So this episode is going to be my top five feel-good comics, comics that you can just read, have a good time with, and will make you feel good. Um, I want to preface this by saying that these aren't comics that are going to be, oh, happy-go-lucky the whole way through, um, because I think it would be in a way disingenuous for me to recommend comics like that because life isn't like that. But um, I hope, my hope is that you take uh, from this episode and from my list comics that may not be um, 
really super funny and uplifting you know from cover to cover but we'll take you on a journey and we'll give you stuff to be satisfied with and we'll give you not just a good story but something that can uh, uplift you and inspire you so that is the goal with this list hopefully we'll accomplish it um i have comics that are both like graphic novels as well as uh full-on series so um I'll be doing basically talking about the title creative team, uh, the synopsis behind it, and kind of why I think that it deserves to be on the list. So without further ado, we are going to go ahead and jump right into it. And at number five, I have Power Man and Iron Fist. This is written by David F. Walker with art by Sanford Green. And this is a comic that I have to owe a lot of... um, credit to uh malcolm malcolm uh russell nelson who's been on the podcast multiple times was singing this pra- the praises of this book from the first issue and the thing for me is i love power man and iron fist i love luke cage i love danny rand i love them as a duo but i am also very um kind of set in my ways when it comes to what attracts me to a comic just from, you know, an initial impression. I'm a big guy on art. If you have uh, art that catches my eye and that I get really interested in, chances are I'll at least buy an issue. But the art by Sanford Green didn't catch me immediately. It's very different from what you would... um, what you would associate with your like classic superhero Marvel style. It's very scratchy. It's very uh, stylized. And for me, it was weird for me to make that adjustment mentally. And so I didn't come to this book until the series was already wrapped. And I absolutely regret that because after being able to pick up the first volume once it was all wrapped malcolm continued to recommend it to me i was blown away by this book um let's go ahead and read the synopsis real quick and then i'll talk about it more uh so synopsis goes like this the best buddy team in comics reunited at last luke cage and danny rand the heroes for hire turned avengers are going back to street level basics and there's a mystery to solve that will draw in crime lords hired goons and old friends but which of the three pose the most trouble when a villain gets her hands on the mystical super soul stone the big apple may end up poisoned by magic unless luke and danny can put a stop to her plan to find the stone they'll wade through new york's seedy underworld in a flurry of big-hitting kung-fu fighting action. This is one adventure that'll show that bromance isn't dead. Luke brings the power, Danny brings the fists, you bring the snacks. So um, pretty much tells you you all you need to know about it. What I love about this book is that as it states in the synopsis, this book is all about street level heroics. A lot of times when you are reading superhero comics, they can get very cosmic, very big, very grand. And sometimes it's a little bit more comforting and a little bit more enjoyable to just sit down with a group of heroes in a very, um, not isolated, but intimate environment. You know, these two are working through Harlem, they're working through New York, they're working through Hell's Kitchen. These guys are, even though there are fantastical elements, you have both, you know, this bulletproof man and this embodiment of the iron fist, like going and stopping drug lords and dealing with neighborhood antics. It's a fun time that you get to enjoy um, these two kind of coming back together after being apart for so long. When this book came out, um, 
there hadn't been a Power Man and Iron Fist book in a, in a while, in a good long while. Uh, each of them got various uh, solo series. One of my favorites out of that was the uh, the Cage uh, solo series by uh, Gendy Tartakovsky. Um, but having them together is just magic. Danny and Luke work so well together. And one thing that really sells that is the thing that initially turned me off on the book, but then brought me right back in when I finally decided to give this book a chance. It's the art. This art is kinetic. It is fun. It is dynamic. And yes, it is a little bit exaggerated. It's not going to be something that really leans on realism, but when you're looking for a book to kind of transport you to a place, when you're looking for a book to really um, get you engrossed in that world, in that story, in that narrative, the art goes a long way to doing that. You know, I would say, and this might be controversial, but um, comics are pretty much 75% art and 25% writing. The story can be fantastic, but without any art behind it, it's a novel. And that is not to, you know disparage writers at all i have so many favorite writers but i think a lot of people tend to forget how much art plays into a comic book and so you'll see you know writers get like superstar status while artists don't even get half of that kind of recognition which sucks but when you talk about something that is so defined by its art power man and iron fist is a book that comes to me really um really easily because the art absolutely sells the book if you can hear it our neighbor's dog is very excited about uh me finally talking about power power man and iron fist um i've mentioned it you know a couple times before on the podcast but i really wanted to give it love here because a lot of times when we're um dealing with stuff a lot of times when we're dealing with you know the curveballs that life throws at us when we're dealing with, um, you know, em- emotional troubles, mental troubles, physical troubles. Sometimes, you know, we take for granted the fact that we have support systems. You know, people have um, a tough time without any kind of support system. And when you are able to lean on that, it makes it a whole lot easier. And that's really what this book is all about. You know, all the way through the run, I would absolutely recommend you reading through the entire the entire run, if not, you know, wet, you know, wet your whistle with the first volume. But definitely, if the first volume engrosses you, ride the whole thing out because it is such a great story about um, taking responsibility. You know, at this point, Luke is a father. He is, you know, with Jessica Jones. Um, they go through some troubles and they have to deal with that. And Luke has to lean on Danny just as much as Danny, who is kind of ruling the bachelor life, but also, you know, feeling a little disconnected from the, you know, neighborhoods that he was initially supposed to be, uh, protecting. Um, they lean on each other and it's great. You know, you get that fun, uh, buddy cop comedy, but you also get stories of two friends trying to support each other during a tough time. So that's why I think this book works. That's why I think this book is a fantastic read. And that's why it is number five on the list. So rolling on to number four, we have Flex Mentalo. Now, this might seem like a strange choice. Um, if you are, you know, even kind of um, uh, f- base familiar with Flex Mentalo, you may be familiar with him from the Doom Patrol show, which is incredible. Um but not a lot of people, at least in uh, my circles and the one that 
when people that I've talked to are super familiar with the book that I think really brought him to life for me, which is the uh, Flex Mentalo series. Uh, it's a, it was a little mini series by Grant Morrison, Frank Quitely. Um, I recognize, and I want to put a quick uh, disclaimer here. I don't talk enough about Grant Morrison. Their work is incredibly uh, influential, not just to comics in general, but to my enjoyment of comics. Their works on Batman, their works on Justice League, um, all over the place. All-Star Superman. I mean, I can't stress enough um, how much Grant Morrison's work influences me as not just a comic book reader, but also as someone who is who kind of prides himself on storytelling. Um, and Flex Mentalo is a great, uh, I would say, is a great example of why Grant Morrison works uh, and why their partnership with Frank Quitely is one of the best comic book duos of all time. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis real quick. Once he was hero of the beach and of the Doom Patrol. Now Flex Mentalo, the man of muscle mystery, returns to investigate the sinister dealings of his former comrade, The Fact, and a mysterious rock star whose connections to Flex may hold the key to saving them both. So this is a story that I really want to talk about more. Um, I don't talk about it enough. You know how much I love Flex Mentalo. Um, and one day I would love to do a full, you know, spotlight breakdown on this book because there is so, just like all of Grant Morrison's work, there is so many layers that goes into this story um, that you might not even pick up on from the first read. I know I didn't. I wasn't able to um, really pick up on the things that make this book work uh, just on my first reading. I've read this probably five or six times, and each time I find new and interesting things about it. So what the basis of this book is about, and I think uh, good friend of the podcast, Matt Draper, kind of put it best, is that this comic is your brain on comics. This book plays with your perception of what comics can be, of what superheroes can be, but not in that kind of deconstructive way that Watchmen or The Dark Knight Returns tries to be, where it's like, hey, all your superheroes suck. This is a deconstruction of the myth of superheroes and the idea that comic books and superheroes ever really fall out of fashion you know this is deconstruction of the superhero myth in that it is a myth i think this is a prime example of the idea that regardless of you know what age you are how much cynicism you might have in your heart superheroes are a um are not just a release for those of us who need them but are also this ethereal concept that can uplift you when you're having a hard time uh the thing about this book is that it checks so many boxes for me first of all it has flex mentalo and anytime you include flex mentalo in a book you will instantly shoot up in my pull list or any kind of interest that i have for your book um Second, the art is gorgeous. Uh, and also, it's a mystery. You know how much I love mysteries. Uh, Flex Mentello is trying to solve essentially the mystery of what happened to, as we said in the synopsis, his buddy The Fact, who is this character who kind of, you know, makes himself very important from the very first page. Um, 
essentially kickstarting the entire book. And what happens in this book is you get to see Flex Mentallo deal with the um, the ages of comics. You know, we like to say that Grant Morrison's work is always um, really energized by their perspective. You know, Grant Morrison has talked about, you know, the door to the fifth dimension and stuff like that, which can feel a little hokey at times. But when you really kind of sit down with their work and you look through all of the things that they try to say through their comics, I think it's incredible how uh, that you seem to find a through line through every book that they've ever worked on. And Flex Mentalo really ends up being what I think is their thesis statement not on superheroes but on comics in general you know the the book itself gets to go through all of the different stages of comics history you know we get to see the golden age where flex is just like this hero of the beach we get to go through the silliness of the silver age the cynicism of the bronze age and so on and so forth and you get to see how not just the these changes and these um these status quo shifts affect us as readers but also affect the characters you know when we talk about um sliding timelines and we talk about continuity the ever dreaded c word of comics um we seem to kind of gloss over the fact that these different ages of comics these different uh eras of comics should or can and really should um influence how these characters act not just uh you know, in their own individual stories, but with each other. You know, there's hints here of these heroes that have been locked away for because of some massive event that happened. There's a great cameo from an older Clark Kent. You know, all of these... Um, all of these little things here and there throughout the story that really celebrate comics. And very easily in these kind of stories you know you get to see um like these roving bands of sidekicks who just without their heroes are kind of falling into all this you know really bad shit and we kind of when we take stories like this you know the story deals with very um adult themes there's drugs there's sex there's um rock and roll to complete the uh the quote but a lot of times with stories like these, we tend to lean into, you know, oh, you know, this is a deconstruction of superheroes and why they don't matter anymore or why the ideas behind them are inherently wrong. But this book sees through that cynicism. This book easily could have slid into that Frank Miller, uh, Alan Moore style of like trying to tell you, the reader, that, hey, if you like superheroes, you're dumb and here's why. But what this book does instead is it tries to tell you that like yeah you know it's real easy to think that and it you know gives that perspective through um the secondary main character wally sage um who is this person who went through that whole period that i think all of us as comic readers went through where we were super um idealizing the uh the myth of superheroes how they're these incorruptible um ultimately good concepts and as we grow older we start to not lose faith in them but start to gain a different perspective on them this is where you know you see a lot of people make that kind of jump from like oh superman's awesome to superman's boring superman sucks and this book really 
charts that journey. You know, you get to see not just Flex Mentallo go through all of those stages of, you know, of going through the cynicism, the ever-changing comic book world, but you get to see Wally Sage grow up as a lot of us did as a comic book fan who kind of lost... Um, lost enthusiasm for the medium and for the genre and by the end of the book you get to see that hope that um that inspiration come back to him you get to see the cynicism fall away so if you are a comics fan who really um needs something that's uplifting something that doesn't pull any punches but also gives you a reason to and as you know, cheesy as it sounds, gives you a reason to have hope for tomorrow again, this is a book for you. This is a book that you can turn to, to not, you know, look at things through rose-colored glasses, but to see, you know, the world has it, it, see the world how it is, but also give you uh, the kind of the kick in the pants you need to see the hope of what the world can be. So I I know that sounds like oddly preachy, and I promise that the book um, tells that message in a much more uh, subtle way, but the book really goes after the idea of what comics can be, not just as a medium, but as a lifeline. And I know for me, just speaking personally, comics have saved my life on multiple occasions, and it's really the love for that medium and the love for the ideas of superheroes and just heroism in general that continues to bring me back to comic books and continues to bring me back to what this podcast represents, which is talking about the things that I love and the things that I have passion for. So that is why uh, Flex Mentello is on this list. It is a feel-good comic if ever there was one, and that is why um, I absolutely think that it is a book worth reading during this time. Rolling on to number three, we have a book that I have probably talked about maybe more than any other book on this podcast or on this list, and that is Matt Fraction and David Aja's Hawkeye. I love this book, bro. Um, I just think it is, it's a masterpiece through and through, cover to cover. Um, you can pick up the Omnibus, which, which I have and I love to death. I've flipped through that and read that more times than probably any other Omnibus I've ever owned. And I think there's a reason for that. So let's go ahead and just dive into the synopsis real quick and then we'll talk about the book. Clint Barton breakout star of a little Marvel movie you might have seen a while back, continues his fight for justice and good rooftop barbecues. With young Avenger Kate Bishop by his side, he's out to get some downtime from being one of Earth's mightiest heroes. But when the apartment building he's moved into and the neighbors he's befriended are threatened by a tracksuit-wearing, dog-abusing gang of Eastern European mobsters who say, bro, an awful lot, Clint must stand up and defend his new adopted family any way he can. So this book, um, outside of being incredibly written and outside of being you know beautifully drawn and outside of being just a distillation of everything you love about marvel comics is also honestly a really simple story about one person or two just trying to be better just trying to be better than they were trying to 
see past, you know, their faults and their mistakes. Our neighbor's dog is really excited about talking about Hawkeye. Um, just trying to look past your faults and trying to look past, you know, mistakes you've made and trying to be better for not just yourself, but for the people around you. And ultimately, that's really what Clint's story is about. This is, in many ways, a redemption story, not just for Clint, but also for Kate Bishop. Um, I don't want to um, belittle at all or, you know, downplay Kate's role in this book because she is our secondary protagonist. You know, I, during the back half of the book, she is, you know, she takes center stage for a lot, for an entire arc just on her own on the West Coast. And, this story is really about the two of them trying to look past the things that um, really define them to try and find a new story for them going forward. Uh, Clint is a just a mess of a person, constantly, all the time. And I think there are a lot of things about Clint that, especially in quarantine time, especially during this age of COVID that we're living in, um, we can uh, we can relate to. You know, someone who's just kind of tired all the time and is just worn out and not really able to be excited about anything. Um, this book deals with a lot of stuff that we um, we go through especially during this time, you know, Clint is, you know, despite them never actually, you know, having him go to a psychiatrist, he's clinically depressed. He's depressed a lot through this book. And you get to see him kind of push past that and find things to inspire him to get him out of his rut, whether it's Kate kicking him in the ass or deciding to uh, stand up against this, um, this, this European uh, gang that are constantly just driving around in tracksuits and saying bro a bunch. Um, we get a great issue, one of my favorite Marvel issues of all time, which is all about uh, Lucky the Pizza Dog. You know, there are so many things about this book that, again, just like with uh, Power Man and Iron Fist, transport you into another place. Uh, the book is also, for all of its kind of um, hijinks, it's also still very intimate. You know, you are with Kate and Clint throughout the entire book. There's never a point where they go out into space or they are fighting a, you know, uh, world-threatening um, world threatening uh, villain. They are really just trying to make their way during this story, and they keep running afoul of all of these different, I would say still street level, you know, Madam Mask, you can argue, with a whole, like, um, interconnected spy network could be a greater threat, but she's treated in the same way as any of these street-level villains, which isn't to, you know, um, downgrade her. It just makes her feel more intimate. It makes her feel more, for me at least, interesting. And these, this book, this entire run, really shows you how someone can push past their depression, how they can push past their faults and find something to inspire them. For Clint, it's his community. It's the people around him. It's, you know, the people who need his help and even though he is just this worn down you know no faith in anything guy he still finds reasons to 
you know, pick himself up and to be the Hawkeye that he needs to be. And the same thing with Kate. You know, Kate and Clint have a breakup during this book, and Kate or Kate Clate, uh, Kate moves out to the West Coast where she is just trying to find her own way, and she ends up, you know, finding the inspiration to not just help out the people out there, but also to go back and ultimately help Clint. It's a book about two people who couldn't be more different, and if you're, you know someone who during this quarantine time has a roommate or has a loved one who, you know, has at some point, you know, gotten on your nerves during this point, uh, during this um, quarantine time, this would be a a good book for you to read as well because Kate and Clint are very different people, but they find common ground in the way that they are two people just trying to do their best. They're trying to make the best of terrible situations you know for the most part most of the issues at least in the first half of this book start out with a clint voiceover basically saying okay this looks bad um and every book just kind of like compounds upon that but again it is fun hijinks with gorgeous just um not simplistic but um not overly um not overly realistic art which is a terrible descriptor and i'm you know for some reason finding it very difficult to find the right words but in the same way that um sanford green's art is very stylized while at the same time giving you uh, a flavor all of its own david Aja's is very similar you know he always gets the comparisons to uh david mazzucchelli and i think that's an apt description because they're not going for realism they're going for kind of this gritty um I guess you could say simpler style, but it tells so much and he's able to do so much with his art that allows you to really get a sense of the story. And anytime you see his art, you instantly know it's his. Um, Once again, this book is really about just trying to do your best during a tough time. And I think that that's really all we're trying to do during this period. We're just trying to do the best that we can with the things that we have. And that's why it is on this list. Plus it's just a fun kick-ass story. So that is why it is number three on my list. At number two, you knew it had to be here somewhere. I talk about it any time that I talk about feel-good stuff. And that is Mark Wade's Daredevil. Uh, of course, as I said, written by Mark Wade with art by both Paolo Rivera and Chris Somney, though they do have other uh, guest artists come through every now and then. Uh, but let's go ahead and read the synopsis and then we'll dive into the book. I've talked about this book before. Um, if you want, you know, my unfiltered, nearly crying um, opinion on it, you can go back to the uh, December episodes that we did with uh, Matt Draper two-part episode talking about our favorite daredevil stories but uh for this let's go ahead and talk about the synopsis a fresh start for the man without fear matt murdoch is back in new york and hoping to resuscitate his law practice but not everyone is happy to see him and daredevil hits the streets as claw master of sound makes his deadly return then a blind client holds the key to a global conspiracy perpetrated by some familiar foes. Can Daredevil protect him long enough to bring down an international criminal organization? And when a piece of cutting-edge technology goes missing, Daredevil and Punisher team up to track it down and clear the Black Cat of the crime. But is Black Cat really innocent? 
And after someone exhumes Batlin Jack Murdoch's grave, Dee Dee heads underground to find the villain responsible. Mark Wade's fantastic rejuvenation of Daredevil begins here. Now, I've brought this up before as this idea of taking a character who is constantly reaching new lows, you know, with his mental and emotional state, you know, every writer seems to want to bring Matt Murdock closer and closer to the edge and wants to tell darker and more grittier stories. This was a sharp left turn for the character. You know, this was coming off of Bendis. This was coming off of Shadowland. This was coming off of some really dark periods in Daredevil's history. And Mark Wade with artists uh, Rivera and Somni decided to go a different direction, decided to kind of harken back to the roots of the character, his fun swashbuckling adventures. Um, and no, that doesn't mean he's a pirate, but it means that he gets to swing around and just have fun being Daredevil. Um, and while that is a main part of this book, this is also a book about depression, just as much as Hawkeye is, and probably more so, because Matt Murdock, if there ever was a character that you could um, that you could associate with depression, it is Matthew Murdock. Um, Matt has gone through a lot in his life, and I feel like saying that is a bit of an understatement, but... Up to this point, you know, he has gone through some really dark times. And with this book kind of taking a sharp left turn and being like, no, Daredevil's going to have fun again. You would kind of assume that, oh, they're just going to, you know, gloss over the fact that Matt has dealt with a lot of terrible things. And what I love about this book is it doesn't do that. This book is, you know, a prime example of why Daredevil and Matt Murdock as a character is one of the if not the most human comic book characters ever created. Uh, Matt deals with a lot over the course of this book. There are times where he is able to be very happy-go-lucky and very, um, you know, just having, like I said, fun being Daredevil. And Foggy Nelson, his best friend, his confidant, kind of calls him out on it at a certain point in the story where he's like, why are you acting this way? Like, you, you are acting way out of character. And Matt addresses it and he basically says like yeah i know i've been re i've been you know really shitty i've felt really down but this is how i'm choosing to deal with it and what you come to realize is that he is masking it he's trying to uh put on a face he's trying to push past his depression with brute force which is incredibly relatable in so many ways you know anyone who's dealt with any kind of depression for any period of time um, has gone through that period where you are just trying to put on a face and be like I'm okay I am over being sad I am just happy now and more often than not nine times out of ten it ends up not working because eventually that feeling starts to creep back. No matter how much you run from it, no matter how much you try to bury it, it always comes back. And it happens during this story. You know, we get to see in one of, as we talked about, and I, I'm not going to cry. I'm not going to cry in this episode. I'm not. I'm just saying that right now. I'm not going to do it. You're not going to get me to cry again. Um, there is a story in this, it's The Purple Children, one of my favorite Daredevil stories of all time. Go back in the episode with Matt Derby. You can hear me cry about it. Um, 
where Matt has a moment where he has, you know, worked really hard to get over this depression, has worked really hard to get over, you know, being sad all the time, and he's confronted by these children of the Purple Man who, through their own, you know, telepathic powers, bring all of that depression, all of that sadness back into the forefront of his mind, and it you know, in one of the, um, one of the most gorgeous and at the same time, um, most minimalistic, uh, full page spreads of the entire run it's just matt curled up in a ball with uh an entire you know just surrounded by darkness surrounded by this abyss and we've all felt that in a way you know regardless of how you know it's not a literal literal black void we've all felt really alone and sad and um through you know the rest of the book he's able to defeat the purple man he's able to get the kids the help they need um matt is talking to uh kirsten who i am going to talk about in a second i'm going to talk about kirsten mcduffie you know i'm going to um matt you know kind of says you know yeah i'm great you know and she brings up like hey like the purple children brought a lot of you know bad stuff out again like are you fine and matt is just like yeah i'm great i'm cool and then he just like goes upstairs um goes into his apartment and he you know takes his shoes off goes upstairs kind of hangs his glasses and his cane up and he just curls into his bed and nope not gonna do it i'm not gonna do it um you know that he's lying. You know that he is not okay. And um, initially, first time I read that, I was heartbroken. When uh, that final panel of him just like laying there in his bed, curled up. Because um, I've been there. I'm sure a lot of you listening have been there. You know, it's a sad thing when you are overwhelmed by the... Um, by the sadness in the world and you know the mental and emotional strain that you have to go through when you are dealing with that kind of sadness and that kind of depression but the moment that gets me the moment that i cry every time reading through this and i am trying really hard not to cry about talking about um right now is you think the comic's over. You know, it flashes up the little time. It does a full, like, NXT title card. If you don't watch wrestling, that reference is not going to make sense to you. But uh, you think the comic's over, and then you turn the page, and you see this, um, just this panel of uh, his phone. And you see him reach for it. <sighs> I'm not, I'm not going to do it. You're not going to get me. Um, and he calls Kirsten. And she immediately answers on the first ring. And she was like, did you think like I was just going to fall for you? Just like saying, oh, yeah, I'm fine. Like, I know you're not doing well. And he's just like, yeah, I'm not. He admits for the f for the first time since this argument with Foggy near the beginning of this run. This is very late. This is almost near the end of the run. Um, he admits that, yeah, I'm not feeling good. And I would like to talk to you. I would like to talk to, you know, my support. And, uh, 
and he says, you know, you don't have to come back. You don't have to come over. And, you know, we get this shot of Kirsten sitting, you know, with her phone. She's like, I know. I never left. And you see that she was sitting outside of his door. Uh, I'm not going to cry. Um, and he opens the door and she says, thank you for letting me in. And there are so many times. There are moments when you feel incredibly alone. And just like what I was talking about before with the uh, Power Man and Iron Fist uh, story, you sometimes forget that you have people that you can lean on. And what this book does so incredibly, not just in this moment, but throughout the entire run, is it really um, puts into perspective how much um, how much people care. You may not see it all the time. You may not recognize, especially if you're going through, you know, COVID depression as people try to like coin it and they're, you know, I feel, I feel it's kind of reductive saying like, oh, you're just depressed because COVID's going on. It's like, no, like people go through this all the time. And it's hard sometimes to recognize the support system that you have. Lord knows there have been times where I have been just overwhelmed by depression and I can't see five feet in front of me. You know, you can't see the for the forest through the trees and I forget the amazing um, support system that I do have. And what this book does so well is it reminds not just Matt of the support system that he has, whether it's Kirsten, whether it's Foggy, whether it's so many people in this book that he interacts with. Um, for me, at least, anytime that I read this book um, or this series, I'm reminded of the incredible support system that I have. And this book not only does that, but it shows you how someone who um, who deals with depression on the regular is able to fight through it and still find joy in, you know, very tough times. You know, Matt is brought, once again, like every other Daredevil story, he is brought to his lowest. And he is able to fight through it, not just through his own strength, but through the strength of his friends, of his support system. Um, Foggy goes through an incredible journey through this because he gets, not to spoil it, but he gets diagnosed with cancer. And then, you know, we get to see him go through that stage. We get to see uh, Matt try to be supportive with him while Foggy is his support system. It's just, oh, it's so many layers. So good. Um, and then you get the powerhouse of a character that is Kirsten McDuffie. Kirsten McDuffie is the greatest Daredevil love interest of all time. You can fight me. You'll lose just because of the overwhelming force of the truth. But... Kirsten McDuffie is a character who doesn't pull punches. She instantly, because this is during the period where, like, um, they've more or less, you know, disproved that 
uh, Matt Murdock is Daredevil, but everyone is just like, Matt Murdock's totally Daredevil. But no one is able to, like, officially say it. And their whole romance is, you know, kicked off by the two of them kind of having this understanding, but never saying it. You know, one of my favorite scenes, and we talked about it, I've talked about it before, um, is during the Christmas party, where da- where Matt literally comes to the party with a big old sweatshirt that I will someday own that just says, I'm not Daredevil on it. And... Uh, he finds Kirsten, and this is very early in their um, their courtship, where Kirsten's like, how are the Avengers doing? And Matt's just like, I don't know. You, maybe you should ask Tony Stark that question. You know, th- it's this very playful banter that I really love. And as the story goes on, you get to see how much of a support system they are for each other. You know, it's not just Kirsten supporting Matt during his depression. He's also supporting her through her really complicated family dynamics. And it's just, it's a wonderful story that tells um, tells a narrative about people trying to help other people. And it's just, like I said, it is a story about remembering our supports, remembering that even when we feel alone, we're not. And if you listening are ever, you know, feeling alone, just, and I know, again, as someone who deals with this stuff, it is much easier said than done. Just remember that there are people that care about you. I care about you. If I have to, you know, put that blatantly out there. Like I said, I, I try to be as honest as I can. And I care about you. And regardless of what is going on, I am an open door. If you ever need anything, feel free to reach out, please. Um, but this is one of my favorite stories of all time. This is one of my favorite um characters of all time this is one of my favorite creative teams of all time you know how much i love wade and samney um and it's absolutely a book that i cannot heap enough praise onto and it is why it is on this list at the number two spot but at number one you kind of knew this had to be on here for a feel-good story for a story that gives you hope for a story that inspires you for a story that lifts you up it had to be Superman Smashes the Clan. You knew it had to be. Of course it's this book. Um, written by Jean Lun Yang with Arpe Gurihiru. Uh, let's just talk about the synopsis so I can just gush about this book, okay? The year is 1946. Teenagers Roberta and Tommy Lee just moved with their parents from Chinatown to the center of Metropolis, home to the famous su- famous superhero Superman. Tommy makes friends quickly while Roberta pines for home. Then one night, the family awakens to find their house surrounded by the clan of the Fiery Cross. Superman leaps into action, but his exposure to a mysterious green rock has left him weak. Can Roberta and Tommy help him smash the clan? This story... Oh my god. (laughs) This story, just as much as any other story on this list... has made me cry, has made me laugh, and has left me feeling inspired. Um, And a lot of that has to do with, of course, Superman. Superman is my favorite uh, superhero of all time. You all know this. I talk about this probably every single week on the podcast, anytime that I can. Um, Superman represents hope. Superman represents um, 
hope for tomorrow, hope for the people around you, and hope for yourself. And this book is no different. This is a classic uh, Fleischer-style Superman, which you know is near and dear to my heart. Um, this is a Superman before he becomes super overpowered, um, and that is just a fish. You know, I'm throwing out a bone for you in the audience who think that, oh, Superman's overpowered and boring. Read this book. Just read it. Um, but what this book does, not just out, you know, not just with Superman, but with um, our, I would argue, our main character, Roberta Lee, um, is it is a story about finding yourself. It is a story about dealing with hardship. This is a story about standing up to bigotry. You know, if anything has kind of caught the public eye just as much as um, COVID and cleanliness and uh, personal health has, it's been the, you know, the concept and the very everyday threat of bigotry and racism and persecution and all of these terrible things that still permeate our society you know we live in a society and all that shit um but it is a very um it is a very real reality for everyone throughout every single day of their lives and what the story does is it fights back it smashes the clan it's in the title um this is of course a story that was uh adapted by the by uh yang and gudahiru from the uh 1940s radio drama which if you haven't go back there is um some wonderful uh, websites that have kind of compiled an archive of all of the Superman uh, radio show. It's a wonderful, especially if you're into podcasts um, like this one, uh, which you must be if you're listening to this. Um, radio dramas are awesome, and I really would love to see them make a comeback. We're starting to get that with like narrative podcasts, and I'm using quotations. They're audio dramas. You could just call them audio dramas. Um, but the uh, the 1940s Superman radio drama is on another level. It's incredible, and it is such a great um, snapshot of the past. And the story that it tells in the uh, Clan of the Fiery Cross is not just um, a great Superman story, but is a, from all accounts, from my perspective, a timeless story. Because even though this story was... I believe, um, released in either the late 40s or the early 50s, uh, it's still incredibly relevant today. Incredibly relevant today. Especially when you take into account, you know, the terrible stuff that's been happening to Asian Americans in this country recently. You know, we've been dealing with attacks on all sides, whether it's, you know, stupid news outlets i'm not going to name them because i don't deserve being named to literally being attacked you know we've seen in the past couple weeks you know asian americans either being you know severely injured or even killed you know because of the perception you know that asian americans have gotten because of covid it's awful and it's a terrible thing that we are having to deal with right now. And we've been also, you know, having to take a greater look and a more, I think, I think a much needed look at the inherent disparity between, 
you know, different races in this country because of all the things that have happened in the past year. This book feels not just uh, incredibly relevant, but also is a story that we all need to um, need to read. This is something that if someone is asking for just a comic book, not even, you know, on this, you know, what's a feel-good comic book, I would absolutely recommend this. But just as... I've never read comics before. Give me a comic to read. I would hand them this book because it is not just a great Superman story. It's not just, it doesn't have just gorgeous art that is very manga inspired. And you know how much I love me some manga and anime. Um, it is a story about finding yourself. It's a star- It's a story about standing up to bigotry. It's a story about uh, dealing with prejudice and it's a story about accepting yourself and not just with superman but also with roberta lee you know our two main characters deal with having to um accept both sides of themselves over the course of the story uh superman starts this off you know he's just leaping tall buildings and running really fast there's no you know freeze breath there's no laser eyes there's no flight at the beginning of the story um but through over the course of this superman is dealing with the idea that uh being different is wrong you know which is an incredible you know thing for someone to overcome uh especially today when we feel at least in my opinion you know people feel more divided than we've been in a very you know god for how long um but I, the story that Superman goes through, learning to accept not just his small town, Smallville heritage, but also learning to accept his alien heritage, being able to be both while giving proper credence to both of, you know, both of his histories and being able to accept himself. You know, Superman deals and Clark deals with the idea of like, I don't want to be different. I want to be like everybody else. But the fact of the matter is like, this isn't just a lesson for him. It's a lesson for all of us that we're, you know, normal is overrated. We're all unique in our own ways. And the idea that Superman is able to learn that and learn to accept both sides of himself, I think is a uh, story that we should all pay attention to. And the same thing for Roberta. Roberta, also known as Lanshin Lee, um, is, you know, her story is not just about, I mean, her story more than Superman's is dealing with the, um, the prejudice and bigotry that she has to deal with being a Chinese American. Um, she also has to learn to, um, Except both sides of herself, both the American side as well as the Chinese side. You know, she, you know, comes into the story wanting to be called Roberta. Roberta is her name because it sounds more American. She deals with uh, her and her brother Tommy really being the only ethnic kids in their neighborhood. Everyone else is um, incredibly white. Uh, But throughout the story, she learns along with Superman about loving herself and about loving you know who we are despite the things in the world that's going on around us which again is a story that we all need to need to know right now and need to have you know i think for the past year i've done probably more introspection in my life um, about who I am as a person, what I want to do, um, and the kind of person I want to be than I've probably done for my, you know, 
all of my adult life at the very least. Um, and I think being able to come to terms with all of the things that make you, you is, uh, it's, it's invaluable and it really does, um, make things better. And I think a lot of people have kind of been during this time left with their thoughts a lot. I know I have, um, uncomfortably so at times, you know, being kind of stuck at home, whether you are um, an essential worker or not, the times when you get home and you're kind of left to your own thoughts and your own um, machinations, it really uh, gives you a lot of time to think about, you know, how the world is, your place in it. And what this book does so well is it not just, you know, it doesn't just softball things to you because ultimately this is a young adult book. This is a YA uh, graphic novel, but that doesn't mean it's any less um, uh, relevant or any less uh, inspiring than so-called adult books. Uh, this story is really about Lan Shin Lee learning to love Lan Shin Lee and learning to love the fact that she is just like Superman of two worlds and that she is able to accept all aspects of herself. Um, I did a full episode if you want to hear me gush and probably, you know, it's it's been a little bit it's been a few months. I probably cried on that episode too. This is a lot of crying episodes um, of this podcast. If you if, if you are coming to the podcast relatively recently, um, I cry a lot on this podcast. It just happens. I talk about things that are that I'm passionate about. It just it just, it just happens. Um, but this this story and the full episode that I did on this uh, kind of I go further into so I don't want to repeat too much here um, so if you want my full you know unfiltered uh, spoiler free thoughts on or spoiler filled thoughts on the story go check out that episode I believe it was my birthday episode um, so go check that out um, but to kind of summarize here um, the idea of being able to accept yourself through adversity and in spite of all of the um, things going against you, I think is a story that is incre incredibly relevant and incredibly important right now. Being able to take solace in the fact that, yeah, the world might not be what we want it to be. Yeah, you know, we might as people not be what we want it to be, but we are enough. And I think that people need to be reminded of that more often, especially right now when people are questioning their self-worth more than probably ever. Um, it is important to know that you are enough. And I think that that's what hopefully not just this book, but the entire list does for you. Hopefully you're able to find a story um, on this list that you can really look to and find uh solace and find inspiration and find hope in because ultimately that's what this list is about that's what comic books should be doing comic books should be inspiring you to be greater and you know even though times are hard and they will continue to be hard i think that regardless of where you come from what your circumstances are um stories like this um, stories talking about um, support systems, stories talking about uh, pushing through uh, mental health issues, stories about accepting yourself for who you are, are stories that are incredibly important and stories that give at least me 
hope for tomorrow. It is now time for the weekly review. This is the segment of our show where I review something weekly. And right now we're reviewing episode number six of WandaVision, entitled All New Halloween Spooktacular. I was chomping at the bit to watch this episode. I really was. But even so, I gotta just put something out real quick. All of you listening here, those of you who either stay up really late uh, Thursday night or get up very early on Friday to watch WandaVision ahead of everybody else, cool it with your spoiler tags. Cool it with your spoilers. Cool it with all of your pictures because I got spoiled in this episode about... And it's really, really fucking minor. But I just... I had to bring it up. Like, it's... It made me so mad. Because I just... I woke up, made myself some coffee, scrolled through Twitter, and boom! Just spoiled. And I know, again, this is really dumb. But it's spoiled that Quicksilver was going to be in his stupid... Um, comics accurate, yet at the same time, super homemade uh, Quicksilver costume. And I would have loved to have seen that for the first time in the episode. But no, I come upon a picture where it's just him in that, in his, you know, Halloween getup. And I just like, oh man, I just shut my phone off and I just set it down. Because I just, be aware, like not everybody can watch WandaVision right away. Just, just cool it, okay? We can all enjoy it, like later on in Friday. Later on Friday, you don't have to immediately put out... Like, you can be hyped about it. Please, feel free to be hyped about it. It's a fantastic show. But, like, take your time. Because other people may not have watched it. But, I digress. That out of the way, I loved this episode. This episode was so fantastic. Um, It did seem, at least to me, to kind of break from uh, from the sequential format of the... Uh, decade sitcoms because it looks like at least in this episode they skipped the 90s and went straight into the 2000s because this episode was straight up a tribute to Malcolm in the Middle which came out I believe in 2002 2005 somewhere around there um but yeah from the intro to how we had Billy talking to us throughout the episode it was absolutely an homage to Malcolm in the Middle. And it was done really well. I was just surprised that we didn't get to see any 90s sitcoms. But I really like this. I am a child of the 90s, so all of this spoke to me, um, having really like started to enjoy stuff in the early 2000s. But overall, like I really, really enjoyed this episode. This was kind of um, back to what I guess we could call back to normal per se, because again, we've got more of the, uh, more of the inside the hex of Westview being shown and the outside of Westview more, um, I would, I, I don't want to say like unimportant, but it took a back seat for sure. Narratively in this episode, but, uh, this episode 
as we stated, uh, has a is a uh, 2000s commercial, just like all of the previous uh, sitcom-y episodes. This one was a little bit more... Um, this one was, I would say, a little bit more subversive and a little bit more subtle when it came to exactly what it was uh, talking about. This one is uh, it's for Yo Magic, and I think all of us remember those weird uh, Gogurt commercials, um, other commercials like this using a lot of claymation and stuff like that. But the um, the commercial was probably the darkest out of all of them. This kid is like starving on. Uh, on an island, the shark comes up and tries to, like, give him this yogurt cup and then, you know, swims away. And then the kid keeps trying to open it, but his fingers are so brittle from starvation that he can't get the foil open. And then he just dies trying to open it. Um, dark. Dark. Um, I don't know what exactly it was trying to um, allude to. Uh, the caption for it just like how we had lagos brand paper towels for messes or to clean up messes you didn't mean to or something like that uh this one is yo magic snack a snack for survivors i don't know if that is referring to uh the snap um if that is referring to you know the um the idea that Wanda is a survivor and because of, you know, that she's going to have some kind of magic thing. It it didn't make a lot of sense to me. So um, I'm sure there was someone who cracked the code for it, but it was not uh, was not the case for me. But this episode, as the title uh, suggests, is a Halloween episode. It's Halloween time. And with that, we got some amazing costumes. Uh, Billy and Tommy got to be in their Wiccan and Speed costumes for the most part. Billy pretty much got his Wiccan costume, whereas Tommy was kind of just a carbon copy of uh, Pietro's costume, which... I guess makes sense, kind of. Um, Scarlet Witch and the Vision also got comics-accurate costumes. Visions was supposed to be like a luchador costume, which I laughed at as a uh, as a pro wrestling fan. It was funny. And then they kind of recontextualized Scarlet Witch's uh, comic costume, where uh, in this, at least in the MCU, this costume is a Sokovian fortune teller's costume, which I like. I like that they're bringing more of that stuff in there i thought it was all good uh and then pietro pietro was the big change for this episode evan peters evan peters is a national treasure evan peters brought so much of everything that we liked about uh mcu quicksilver into this or uh x-men quicksilver into this role um lots of really standout stuff when it comes to him um they made a fun little like kick-ass reference because the original mcu quicksilver Aaron taylor johnson was kick-ass and in kick-ass evan peters played his best friend um and then uh, the two of them ended up both becoming Quicksilver, so that was fun. Uh, we also got a really funny moment where they, um, where Wanda doesn't know how to feel about Pietro because she recognizes that he looks different. She, for some reason, she recognizes that, so she's like testing him throughout the episode, and he keeps like answering her, and he mentions, you know, I got shot like a chump in the street, which both could be, you know. It seems like he has some form of MCU Pietro's memories, 
but that could also, I mean, that could also be the last thing he remembers from the X-Men, uh, from the XCU, uh, timeline who knows we still don't know exactly what is going on um i definitely think that there is more than meets the eye to pietro in this um i i selfishly i still kind of want him to be pietro just you know the uh the fox version of pietro just pulled over from an alternate uh alternate universe but i think that there is definitely something going on with him he seems much more aware of wanda's influence there's there's even a moment i think um and i'd have to go back to figure out exactly where it was where it looks like he's aware of the cameras like he looks straight into camera at one point um he also makes a reference to uh billy and tommy's like unleash hell demon spawn kind of calling back to the whole um devil soul fragments and if you have no idea what i'm talking about when it comes to that stuff go back and check out last week's episode it was our geek explained wanda and vision edition uh but i really really like how they're playing him evan peters is very um he's super dynamic very charismatic and he's bringing such a different energy to this show that we really didn't have before and he has amazing chemistry with elizabeth olsen as wanda i really dig it i hope he sticks around for the rest of the show um it was very interesting watching the two of them interact so i was that that's something to definitely keep an eye on going into these last three episodes uh meanwhile while all of this was going on all the halloween festivities uh vision after the events of the previous episode has decided to go searching about the neighborhood for answers and he starts to as he gets further and further away from Wanda and further and further away from the edge of, or from the center of town he starts seeing glitches like people are like glitching out throughout Westview um and i think this definitely has something to do with Wanda not actively thinking about them or being far away from them because, you know, you see this uh, one image of this husband and wife, the husband keeps putting down a jack-o'-lantern and then picking it back up and putting it down in the exact same place. And uh, the, the wife is trying to hang up this Halloween decoration, but she keeps like reaching over to hang it up and then bringing it back and then reaching up. And there's a moment where she like, there's a tear that falls down unsettling unsettling and incredibly sad like these people are prisoners essentially in this community and it sucks but um i think it's very interesting it almost seems like they're waiting for their cues because that as vision gets to like the edge of westview like everyone's just frozen it's like when again like wanda isn't actively thinking about them or wanda isn't near them they just don't move they're waiting on their cues to start moving and vision is like super disturbed by this and he ends up running into agnes who is in her car at the very edge of town and uh vision is like you know what are you doing here and agnes seems to be in a trance she's like you know oh i got lost and vision is like in the town you grew up in and like he like awakens her the same way that he does to norm and she's like oh my god like you're vision you're an avenger you gotta help us like are am i dead and he's and there was that scene from the uh from the trailers where she's like am i dead and he's like no why would you think that she's like because you are and vision once again as we know has no memory prior to westview so he doesn't remember being an avenger he doesn't remember being part of the greater marvel universe but very very interesting stuff and i'm really digging 
what they're doing here. He eventually like zaps Agnes back and she like pops back into the Agnes of the show. But one thing I do want to point out, because of course, as this ha- as this scene is happening, I'm thinking to myself, oh, she's so she's not Agatha Harkness. Like, what's the deal here? But we have to mention, and I have to mention this, um, and I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure I'm not, that this is the first time uh, since the opening, since the opening credits of the, of the first episode, where we see someone driving a car. And I think that's something to pay attention to, because Agnes has always been able to walk everywhere. The w- town of Westview is small enough that everyone seemingly walks everywhere. Why was Agnes driving, and why was she driving on the edge of town? I think personally, and this is just theory crafting here at this point, I think it was a feint. I think she still is involved, and she did this to throw Vision off of her trail, but we will just have to see. Um, and they did mention during the whole... Uh, trick-or-treating deal that um, they can't go past Ellis Avenue, which seems to be kind of the road going around Westview. That's like the border. Um, I think it's very interesting how they've been setting this up. They also, another thing that makes me still want uh, Pietro to be Pietro is he has Pietro's powers. He has his speed. And we haven't seen anyone who directly can copy powers like that, even though um, there is a certain amount of um, reality manipulation, stuff like that. And maybe, I don't think Wanda is powerful enough to give people powers. But I don't know. We we are in uncharted territory when it comes to MCU Wanda. So we'll just have to see. But um, meanwhile, on the outside of the Hex, outside of Westview, um, we got to further along the uh, conflict between Monica and Hayward. Hayward's up to something for sure. Um and he basically, like, grounded her, like, tried to get her, uh, Jimmy Woo, and Darcy escorted off of the premises. Uh, Jimmy Woo was a badass, by the way. As they're getting, you know, escorted off, um, Jimmy and Monica end up, you know, disabling their their guards. And they go back in to try and, like, figure out something more. Because Hayward's, Hayward's got something up his sleeve that he's not talking about. And we see that uh, through different systems, Hayward is tracking Vision, and he seems he's definitely keeping secrets for sure. We do know that when Wanda rescued Vision's body, it was at Sword Headquarters. She broke in there, busted him out, and so we don't know exactly what they were keeping him there for, what his body was there for. It's been five years since Vision was killed, so they were using him for something. Uh, I think we definitely need to pay attention to the fact that uh, Sword went under a rebranding when it was adapted to the MCU. Now it's the it's like sentient weapon observation and response to Vision instead of the sentient world. So I think that's going to be very that's going to be key here for sure. Um, I saw someone on uh, on the internets was putting out the uh, the theory that they might be trying to create sentinels, which I think is freaking wild. I would so be down for something like that. Uh, it'd also be super terrifying. But um, as we have come to find out along, you know, through this episode as well, uh, Monica's cells have been rewritten twice after stepping through the. Um, the little barrier. So these are permanent changes that are happening inside of this dome. And when, you know, 
if this is ever like dispelled or set back to normal, people will be changed coming out of this. So I'm very interested to see what um, what is going to come of that. But speaking of passing through, uh, Vision passes through the barrier. We see him leave Westview and wow, what a freaking sequence. He tries to get out. He pushes himself through the barrier and immediately starts getting like ripped apart pull, and being pulled back into Westview. Um, it was terrifying. It was absolutely terrifying. Uh, during this episode as well, we see Billy and Tommy get their powers. Tommy, of course, getting super speed just like Pietro and Billy getting powers similar to his mother. And during this whole uh, exchange, during... Um, while uh, Pietro is talking to Wanda, they make a great little uh, moment, too, where Wanda's like, what happened to your accent? Pietro's like, what happened to yours? And I just, ugh, I love it. I love it. I love it. Um, Pietro seems, again, Pietro seems to be very aware of what's going on. He keeps making mentions, like saying things like, um, like, oh, yeah, you know, you you went past the whole uh, basically talking about like the moral ambiguity of like having children trapped in your little your bubble. And he's talking about like um, like, you know, oh, you know, your dead husband can't die twice and want to like zaps him. And then she like freezes Westview, like everyone in it, because she's trying to find vision and she realizes that he's outside of the dome. So she starts extending the hex it starts pushing past the initial barrier and everyone's scrambling we see that uh the perimeter that sword had put out is now being converted into like what looks like a carnival which might end up uh coming into play next week uh or this week but um things are happening very quickly we don't know how fat it looked like it was extending very quickly to save vision um but as hayward and his group are like driving away super quick uh it was keeping pace with them and i don't know i don't know what's gonna happen uh darcy was pulled in jimmy and uh, monica left to go meet monica's contact who people have been talking about might be hank mccoy might be reed richards we don't know but i can't oh, i can't wait it's gonna be so good um whoever it is it's gonna be amazing but um yeah it is very interesting as you know we kind of cut off at a cliffhanger of uh, Wanda just extending this zone out. We don't know how far she extended it. All of the sword agents that were trapped in have been turned into various carnival workers. So um, big repercussions. If this wasn't on everybody's radar beforehand, it is going to be very, very soon. So I absolutely cannot wait to see the new House of M or the House of W, I guess we could say, since the House of Wanda Vision. But um, yeah, I'm super hyped. We got three more episodes coming out of this uh, and then rumor has it also that these three episodes are going to be hour-long episodes so i cannot wait it's going to be fantastic time so tune in next week for uh my re review of this coming friday's episode episode number seven but for now we're going to roll right on into this week's comics countdown <laughs> 
Welcome back to this week's Comics Countdown. This is the segment of our show where I talk about the comics that I think you should be picking up this week. Whether it's at your local comic book shop, a comiXology, or however you get your comics, these are the ones I think you should definitely take a look at. But before we get into this week's comics, we got to take a look back at last week's comics with the Geeksplain Pick of the Week of last week. And I'm going to be honest, I did not think that this was going to be the pick, but it ended up being Future State Superman Wonder Woman number two. I know, I didn't think it was going to be this either, but honestly, I loved this issue. Um, I talked about before how uh, last week when I was doing the rundown, that um, I liked, you know, the ideas that they presented in the book. I was a little thrown off by the art, but everything, like the stars seemed to really align for this story because it delved into these characters and like it really talked about why they work and they felt like friends. You know, Superman, as you know, is, you know, my favorite superhero of all time. And I cannot imagine the amount of pressure that it would be trying to uh, live up to something like that. You know, I love stories about, you know, sons trying to follow the, um, I guess, the example or, you know, reach the precedent set by their fathers. Um, And it's... It was such a great story watching John just be a character because the thing that we haven't seen, at least for me, the thing I haven't seen since they aged him up back when Bendis decided to do that is John be an actual character and not just a plot device. Um, he felt like a genuine character here. I loved the interactions between him and Yara. I loved the ridiculousness of uh, Superman racing the sun while... Um, uh, Yara Floor Wonder Woman decided to fight a Sun Eater. Like, it was the whole, it was everything I wanted. Um, and it jumped way up in my, uh, in my perspective as to, like, one of my favorite Future State books I've ever read. It was so freaking good. Uh, but that was last week's books. Let's talk about this week's books. We have this week, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. 12 books for you this week, a dozen. We have a dozen books for you to check out this week, so let's not waste any time. Let's just jump right into it, starting things off with Iron Man number six. This is written by Christopher Cantwell with art by Cafu. This is continuing on this arc of uh, Tony versus Korvac. Um, this is... This is... Uh, this is going to be a hell of a story. So... Um, I've I'm really interested in seeing how they recover because the last man uh, <laughs> the last issue ended with a hell of a cliffhanger so I'm really interested to see how they bounce back from that let's just go ahead and dive into the synopsis here the books of Korvac book two begins After receiving a near-fatal injury from Korvac, Iron Man lands in emergency triage with his life on the line. Halcyon and Misty Knight work quickly to lock Tony in his armor and staunch his injuries. But now he can't take it off or else he'll die. 
With pieces of metal literally holding his body together, Tony regroups with his allies, all while trying not to give in to his rage over being bested by Korvac. With Hellcat on the psychological ropes and his other hero compatriots recuperating from their own near-death experiences, can Tony muster what he needs in order to chase Korvac out into space and stop the mad demigod's quest for ultimate power? Perhaps War Machine is just the friend Tony could use in this moment. But James Rhodes might only be there to bench a manic and battered Tony from action so that he doesn't get killed. Still, as always, Tony has never been good at taking no for an answer. So that was a wordy one. Uh, but yeah, I think it's really cool that they kind of uh, did a, a throwback for the classic um, classic Tony Stark origin, where, if you weren't aware, in the comics, when he was initially, um, and they touched upon this in the uh, animated series as well, when uh, Tony Stark suffered his near-fatal injury, it wasn't just an arc reactor that was put into his chest. It was the whole chest plate of his Iron Man armor that he would have to keep like hidden under his clothes, so I love the fact that they're hearkening back to that. It's really, really cool. Uh, next up, we have Black Widow number five. I know, it's been a Hot minute since we talked about this book uh written by kelly thompson with art by elena casagrande and rafael de la tour um i believe this is the ending of or this is the end of this uh might be one more issue but i'm not completely sure but um yeah i still think this is a really interesting book if you're a big fan of black widow this is gonna be right up your alley let's just go ahead and dive into the synopsis here the ties that bind, Finale. The end is also the beginning. As Natasha finally begins to escape her paradise and takes aim on her enemies, she can't ignore that her freedom comes at a devastating cost. Is this what finally breaks the Black Widow? Winning the day will change Natasha forever and set her on a bold new path. Losing is no longer an option. So yeah, I guess this is the end of this arc, um, or at least of this uh, series. I still really dig it. I like the concept behind it. The art is gorgeous. Absolutely gorgeous. And like I said, if you're a Black Widow fan, this is definitely the book to look out for. Next up, we have Future State, Immortal Wonder Woman number two. This is written by... Um, Becky Cloonan, Michael Conrad, and L.L. McKinney, with art by Aletha Martinez, Jen Bartel, and Mark Morales. Um, I I think that this is this is a uh, this isn't my favorite. It's not a bad book in any way, but I didn't find myself as um, hooked on the first issue as I was the first as I was for a bunch of other books in this future state line but as we're kind of winding down getting to the end of the future state saga um, I think this is going to end up being a very important story in the grand scope of things I think it's definitely worth the time um, especially with the concept the art is gorgeous the writing is spectacular I think it's definitely a book worth picking up for sure but uh, let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. Immortal Wonder Woman, Part 2, slash Nubia, Part 2. The undoing is here. Superman couldn't stop it. Darkseid couldn't stop it. Only Diana Prince is left to hold back the being that could spell the complete disintegration of the cosmos. 
but will even she be powerful enough for the task? Meanwhile, in another future, Nubia's attempts to stop the theft of ancient artifacts have led her to an even bigger conspiracy and an even bigger foe. Cersei is up to her old tricks even after all these years, and she has an offer that Nubia will find hard to refuse. So yeah, like I said, two very different uh, stories with two very different Wonder Woman, but this is a book, like I said, to pay attention to, especially if you're a fan of Wonder Woman and you're trying to make sure you're prepped for uh, everything that's going on with the Wonder Books uh, starting uh, with Infinite Frontier. Next up, we have Iron Fist, Heart of the Dragon number two. This is written by Larry Hama with art by David Wachter. Um, I just, I think this is a good old-fashioned Iron Fist story. There's, It's no frills, no, like, it's not trying to be, you know, more than it is. It knows exactly the book it's trying to be, and it's trying to be a fun uh, kung fu story. And I think that they are accomplishing that with some stellar art, for sure. So let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. The heavenly cities are coming to Earth, and they're bringing hell with them. Danny voyages into the heart of heaven, only to find his destination lies elsewhere, the hellish hidden eighth city. What is the dark force behind the ancient gate that stands locked in the heart of the Eighth City? The only way to stop that ravaging horde is to bring the heavenly cities to Earth. But will even that be enough? So yeah, I think this is a really interesting Iron Fist story. I think it's something that hasn't been done before. Um, I always love when they dive into the other cities. Anytime they involve the other heavenly cities, I'm always on board. But uh, it's a it's a really, like I said, it's a really fun book that involves uh, one of my favorite Marvel characters. So definitely pick it up. Speaking of favorite Marvel characters, next up we have Captain America number 27. This is written, of course, by Ta-Nehisi Coates with art by Leonard Kirk. Um, it's, I feel like it's been a minute since we talked about a Captain America book. Um... Again, I don't know if that, you know, has anything to do with Ta-Nehisi Coates coming back to Black Panther. I can only assume it does, but who knows. But I've, I've still been really enjoying this Captain America run. I don't think I know exactly where it's going, which makes me a little worried. But I, I definitely think it's still quality Captain America storytelling. So let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. All Die Young, Part 8. How Captain America Got His Mojo Back. So, yeah, real short and sweet. They've been doing this with the Captain America book. Just very simple, short synopses. But um, I'm, you know, again, we had, you know, the return of the Red Hulk. We've got a lot of uh, stuff in the background going on. So I am always down for Captain America storytelling. You know I am. And I can't wait to pick this book up. Next up, we have Batman Catwoman number three. This is written by Tom King with art by Clay Mann. Uh, I will say book or uh, issue two was much more uh, coherent than issue one. Uh, I felt like I could follow the story along a lot better in the second issue. And I hope that that continues. I hope that uh, as we go along the uh, three different timelines that we are reading through become a little bit more uh, clear and a little bit more distinct from each other. I think it's going to start to get that way. There's been a lot of buzz in the past month or so for the new uh, Batwoman design, which just, it's, uh, you know, I love Clayman's work. It's not his strongest work. 
but um i still i love his art and i love the uh bat cat relationship that tom king has really kind of um pushed forward and i of course you know how much i love the animated series you know how much i love mask of the phantasm and any any phantasm is good phantasm so let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here the bat and the cat chapter three selena kyle knows this early in her career as catwoman he was there to mess things up for her same with later when she and batman were finally getting together for the third time but still that time stuck no thanks to the joker or to phantasm who now has her sights set on Catwoman because she thinks that will be her in to get after the Joker herself. And she has to do it before Batman gets to him first. So yeah, I like ticking clock stories. I like, you know, urgency. And this is shaping up to be a pretty urgent story. And Catwoman versus Phantasm. That is a matchup I am chomping at the bit to see. So definitely pick this up for sure. Next up, we have Champions number four. This is written by Eve L. Ewing with art by Bob Quinn. And I, you know, I really, I'm liking this. And I love this cover. I love this cover. You see some Cyclops on this cover. Um, I just, I, I really dig, um, I really dig the story. I really dig that original Champions run. You know how much I love that Champions run. And this is giving me very much that same kind of feel. It's a different artist, different writer, but I am very much getting that kind of um, that kind of feel. That feel that it it's you know a book that is worth you know putting close to the front of your pull list for sure. Um, so let's just go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. Outlawed Part 4. Guest starring Cyclops and the Marauders. Avasti, champions on the high seas. Nova, Ironheart, Miles, and Miss Marvel have narrowly escaped Cradle for now with the help of their old teammate. But it's out of the frying pan and into... the ocean? So yeah, uh, guest starring Cyclops and the Marauders. I'm down. I'm ready for this. Now, of course, we know that this isn't going to be... Um, past cyclops but they established during war of the realms that this cyclops remembers and i love it i love it so much um so i'm always down for cyclops joining up with the champions again and of course it has the marauders too my favorite x books uh, they're all coming together so i this is a must buy for me and i hope you definitely pick this one up as well next up we have future state nightwing number two this is written by andrew constant with art by nicholas scott the amazing nicholas scott um i was surprised at this book i was surprised at how much it felt like a team-up book rather than a nightwing book and i expressed this when i first um really when i first uh talked about this book coming out at least the first issue i was worried that it was going to feel like a team-up book and you know, it does feel like a team-up book. I still think that it's a... I don't think that that's necessarily a bad thing. Uh, team-up books are great. I just got done talking about earlier how the Superman Wonder Woman book I thought was fantastic. And this second issue might blow me away like the second issue of that did. But 
I wish this was more of a focused Nightwing story, but it's still Batman and Nightwing going up against all of the magistrate in the ruins of Arkham Asylum. So you've got me there. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. Once upon a night in Gotham, part two. It's an all-new dynamic for the dynamic duo when Nightwing and Gotham's mysterious new Batman join forces against the Magistrate. But when the totalitarian force controlling the city declares the two heroes their primary targets, Nightwing will need to call on the full force of his hidden resistance, including two Batgirls, Huntress, and Two-Face. But even then, will it be enough? Find out in this action-packed conclusion. So yeah, we've kind of established that there's this like rebellion in Gotham. You know, we have the uh, Arkham Knights, we have the Batgirls. Uh, we know Huntress has also uh, been palling around with um, Grifter, but we'll just have to see how all of this kind of links up. If this is kind of promising, uh, a full scale like showing us what's going on with the uh, Resistance here, then I am all in. Next up. We have Marauders number 18. That's right, you're getting the double dose of Marauders this week. Very excited about that. Uh, this is written by Jerry Duggan with art by Stefano Caselli and Matteo Lolli. And you know how much I love both of those artists. Uh, this cover looks really, really fun. Got Iceman and uh, Pyro on it. And uh, Marauders is pretty much open-ended for the stories that they can tell right now. They kind of uh, concluded their whole Sebastian Shaw deal. We now know that Callisto is going to be a, kind of a recurring member of the um, of the cast when it comes to this book. But we don't know exactly what is going to be uh, the next direction for the Marauders. Um, we've got we had a great little uh, Marauders uh, King Black tie-in, which I enjoyed. We're having Marauders show up in Champions this week, so I'm very interested to see what they do with this. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. The past is not the past. The Marauder returns to Madripoor to pay tribute to a fallen friend, but all the while, old enemies are being forged anew. So yeah, we do know that the um, that the Marauders did run afoul of this little uh, Hellfire Club or whatever they're calling themselves. Uh, they they're kind of running the show over in Madripoor right now. So we'll just have to see exactly what happens there. Next up, we have Future State, the next Batman number four. This is of course written by John Ridley and Vita Ayala, as well as Paula Sevenbergen, with art by Emanuela Lupacino, Aneke Laura and Laura Braga, um, I, I kind of, I'm missing Nick Darrington. You know how much I love Nick Darrington, and I'm kind of missing him in this book, but the book is still incredibly solid. Um, I just, I really dig this version of Gotham, this Blade Runner version that they've got going with this. Uh, I like it a lot. I really, really do. But uh, let's just go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. The Next Batman, Chapter 4. Slash Batgirls Part 2 Slash Gotham City Sirens Part 2 The next Batman goes head-to-head -head with the Magistrate's shock troops to protect the guilty. It's a savage running battle across Gotham City, and it will have the next Dark Knight fighting overwhelming odds to prove that justice still lives in the heart of a broken city. 
In the finale of Batgirls, after discovering the person locked in the high-security cell is the one who's been sending out Batman Lives signals to the Resistance, Stephanie Brown and Cassandra Cain must work together to make sure they take that person when they escape their prison. Plus, in the conclusion of Gotham City Sirens, Catwoman and the new android Siren hide out in Poison Ivy's newly built paradise, where they discuss their past relationships, including what Catwoman has or had with Batman. But when Peacekeeper forces arrive, the new Siren will have to make a sacrifice to save her friends. So out of the three, when it comes to my excitement for them, it probably goes in uh in chronological order uh batman then batgirls then uh gotham city sirens i just i didn't really connect with the sirens um backup for that i really actually enjoyed the batgirls anytime you get stephanie uh stephanie brown and cassandra kane together i am all in on that and it's a prison break i love me some prison breaks and i also really like the you know warrior i talked about last time the warriors aspect of having batman defend these two people across gotham to get them to a destination and the way that last issue left us with a really solid cliffhanger i'm excited to pick this book up next up we have thor number 12 this is written by donny cates with art by nick klein uh this is continuing on the prey storyline with donald blake going absolutely apeshit going after all current and former Thors. Uh, we saw a moment with Jane Foster. No idea if that is going to come back in this issue or not, but we got to see the return of Throg at the end of last issue. I can't wait for this throwdown. It's going to be a good time. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. Prey, part four. Doctors Foster and Blake, ready your scalpels. Once upon a time, Jane Foster and Donald Blake were more than friends. With Blake at her side, Jane could have shared the very throne of Asgard. Now, they are about to become the bitterest of enemies. And if Valkyrie falls, she'll have lost more than a crown. All of the ten realms are at stake, not to mention the life of All-Father Thor. And we still don't know what... Uh, it's going to happen to Thor proper. We don't know what he's doing. We don't know how the Odin son is going to get out of this realm to get back to uh, Earth. But I loved the, um, what is it? The uh, interaction between uh, Jane and Donald in the last issue. You know, Donald is, you know, coming to her because he, you know, is he's hunting down all of these different members of our uh, former Thors. And... At, you know, they have dinner, they're reminiscing about old times, and she mentions that she was a Thor. And it immediately, like, triggers him. And I just, I, oh, I love the storytelling that they're doing in this book. It's so great. You need to pick this up. But the big book of the week for me, the book I think you should absolutely be picking up this week, is Future State Superman Worlds of War number two. This is written by Philip Kennedy Johnson, Becky Cloonan, Brandon Easton, and Michael Conrad, as well as Jeremy Adams, with art by Valentin Delandro, Sia Ohm, Gleb Melnikov, and Mikkel Janine. Stacked, stacked, stacked creative roster here on this one. And I loved the first Worlds of War book. I really, really dug it. I liked all of the stories, both the main story as well as the backups. I wasn't, I would say, the biggest fan 
of the uh, Midnighter story because just Midnighter really isn't my cup of tea as a character. But the art was stellar. The storytelling was great. I loved the uh, Mr. Miracle and Black Racer stories. And anytime you get into the mythology of Superman and Clark Kent, I am absolutely there. Can't wait to pick this book up. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. Superman Worlds at War Part 2 slash Midnighter Part 2 slash Black Racer Part 2 slash Mr. Miracle Part 4. Meet the rising champion of the gladiatorial pits of War World, Superman. The Man of Steel is still down in the pits, duking it out with Mongol's hordes and working his way up to the big boss himself. But since it's Superman, there has to be more to this than a simple determination to win the title belt, right? Yes, because he's also got Midnighter out there on a mission to chase down a dangerous new power source, but the man standing in his way is all too familiar. Plus, the Black Racer smashes her way to freedom, and Mr. Miracle, now trapped on Warworld himself, has to find his way back to the bottle city of Metropolis, and his only mode of transportation is a busted boom tube. So yeah, lots of plates spinning here. I think it's interesting that it seems that Superman and uh, Midnighter are working together since I didn't get that impression from the first issue. But uh, this seems to be going a lot of different directions, all taking place in Warworld, which I love. I love single locations that have different storylines running through them. This is my must-pick-up, uh, alongside Thor number 12 for sure. I think those are kind of tied for my big books of the week. But... That does it for this week's Comics Countdown. To recap, we have Iron Man number 6, Black Widow number 5, Future State, Immortal Wonder Woman number 2, Iron Fist, Heart of the Dragon number 2, Captain America number 27, Batman Catwoman number 3, Champions number 4, Future State Nightwing number 2, Marauders number 18, Future State the next Batman number 4, Thor number 12, and Future State Superman Worlds of War number 2. Phew. And that is going to bring us to the wrap-up. If this is your first time joining us here on the Geek Explain podcast and you like what I do here, please feel free to subscribe on the podcasting platform of your choice and give us a rating and review. Uh, ratings and reviews really help me out, really helps the podcast out, kind of raises the stock of the podcast in the, you know, content creation space and gets us out and into the orbit of listeners just like you we drop new episodes every single wednesday and i'm really proud of the podcast you know episodes like this i really get to kind of talk about you know stuff from the heart and i try to do that every single week so if you enjoyed this episode feel free to go back in the archives listen to more and also tell a friend uh and also if you want to give us a five-star rating and review on apple on apple podcasts itunes whatever you want to call it um, I will read your review here live on the podcast you can join the likes of our four horsemen that being Seafire ND Josh from Panels of Pixels Matt Draper and Burrito Man 88 I want to say a big thank you to them for their reviews and I can't wait to hear yours also if you want to be part of our Geek Explained mailbag, if you have a question for me, you want to um, get my opinion on something, if you want a quick pitch, feel free to send emails to geeksplained at gmail.com. Um, just put mailbag in the subject header, and I will read your email here on the podcast during the mailbag segment. Um, also, I would love, if you want to send them to me, let me know what your favorite feel-good comic books are. I would love to talk about more feel-good comics. This is a time that we need comics that make you feel good make you just 
feel inspired, all of those positive emotions that I don't think we're getting enough of right now. So um, if you want to do that, uh, feel free to send those over and I will read them next week on the podcast. Also, if you want to keep up to date with all the happenings with the podcast, uh, you want to participate in polls to decide future episodes, you want to just chat with me about uh, the latest trailer, the latest comic book news, feel free to follow us on social medias at Pod. that's at Pod on Twitter and Instagram. But that is going to wrap up this week's podcast. Um, let me know if you uh, have any thoughts about the things we talked about today. I'm just, oh man, there's so much going on. There's so much going on in the world of comic books right now. And I am just, I'm loving it. I'm loving it because it's giving me a wonderful distraction from all the terrible things that are happening outside of comics. And I think we all could use um, just a little bit um, a little bit of an uplifting distraction. And hopefully this podcast did that for you. So uh, tune in next week for a brand new episode of the Geek Explained podcast. Same geek time, same geek channel. But for now, for Geek Explained, this is Eric Azana. Thank you very much for listening. Stay safe. And we will see you next time. Thank you.